So let me launch into uh, a message for today. And God was challenging me about something over the last week or so. And that, we, and that is that uh, we are pretty much at the first anniversary of uh, a very something that we would not celebrate, the coming of COVID, right? And during that entire season over the last year, and I believe that Australia is coming out of this in a way that's uh, faster and stronger than just about any other Western nation. And I believe that the reason for it is that the prophetic declaration was made by Cindy Jacobs and by many others um, that Australia would come out of COVID faster and in better health than, um, than other nations around the world. And that out of that, that was going to serve as a bit of a springboard for our nation, Australia, to become the greatest missionary sending nation by capita that there has ever been in history. Can I tell you that for that to happen, we have to have revival, we have to have transformation, we have to have a reformation, we have to have mature Christians in the house of the Lord that know what they are called to and actually step out into what they are called. And so over the last year, as God um, really searched our hearts it has been a season of fire. It has been an absolute season of fire. This fire of circumstances has touched every life here. But I want to tell you that in the middle of all that, as a church, we've been pros prospered. And that, uh, uh, you know, when we do our annual church membership meeting straight after the service and I bring the pastor's report, I'll, I'll be saying things like, we've grown. We've been prospered financially. God has, done a, has been doing a deep work among us. And it's all been fire. He's been building fire within and he's used the fire without. But God has been reminding me over the last couple of weeks that he is not just expressed as fire. In fact, there are four expressions of the Holy Spirit that we find quite prominently in Scripture. And they are water, oil, fire and wind. Now, as I was preparing to preach today, over the last week, I thought, okay, I'm going to preach this. I'm going to preach these four aspects of the Holy Spirit. And then I realized as I got into it that um, I'm not even going to properly cover the aspect of the Holy Spirit as water, um, even in a whole message. So this is now becoming a four-part series <laughs> so that I can adequately cover how God expresses himself in these four uh, ways. And so uh, there is a risk that when we preach refining and purifying, as I've been doing over the last 12 months, that we can become a little bit introspective with regard to what God is doing. And a little bit of introspection is a good thing. It is a good thing to examine our hearts and see actually where we stand with God and uh, allow the Holy Spirit to search out the parts of us that don't line up with the identity that we have been uh, bought by the blood of Jesus. And so that's a, a, an important thing to do. But apart from what it produces, which is the necessary cleansing and, and, and recommitment that we find in our hearts, there's something else that the Holy Spirit does in us, and we're going to get into how this happens today, the aspects of the Holy Spirit and his cleansing and purifying of us are necessary because we need to be trained. We need to be trained because we're actually in a war. And everything that we have done this morning, our prayer, our worship, our ministering, our prophesying, our preaching as I'm doing now, the taking of communion, these are all acts of warfare that take territory from the enemy. Your decision <laughs> to get out of bed and come to church this morning instead of listening to the rain coming down and going, oh man, I'm just going to stay here in bed. I'm going to switch on the live stream. I'm going to put on my onesie and make myself a piece of toast and a cup of tea. And I'm just going to enjoy the preaching. Well, I've got news for you. You're going to be convicted by the preaching this morning. <laughs> Your decision to get out of bed and come to church was an act of warfare against the enemy. 
<laughs> no holding back. And this past Monday night, we had a, a very powerful intercessory prayer meeting here on Monday night. And a couple of things emerged prophetically during our intercession that prompted today's message. The Holy Spirit doesn't just purify and refine us by fire. He also comforts us. He leads us into all truth. Sometimes the truth is a bit uncomfortable, but that's what he promises us. He convicts us and he conforms us to the image of Jesus. And he's not just described using the metaphor of fire. He is described with four main characteristics in the Bible, not just one. So I want to, over the next uh, four times that I preach, I want to talk about these four aspects and how they work together to produce in us us, the character and anointing that was on Jesus. Uh, these four main characteristics of the Holy Spirit need to be in view at all times for us to be spiritually, emotionally, physically balanced and healthy in our walk with God and prepared for whatever comes our way, whether in our relationship with God, in our personal relationships with those around us, in our relationship with the world, the wider world around us, or in the battles that the Lord has called us to in the spiritual realm. So these four defining characteristics or expressions of the Holy Spirit are water, oil, fire, and wind. And God wants us to have revelation of all of these. He wants us to see their influence on us and in us and also to see how they work together. So today we're going to go to a revelation about the Holy Spirit as water. In Isaiah 44.3 promises us this, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. Are you thirsty? Yeah. Are you dry? Good. <laughs> Those who said no, good. Those of you who are a bit dry, <laughs> you're going to get wet. <laughs> and he goes on to explain what he's talking about. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. The water of the Holy Spirit is poured out on our lives to bless us, to lead us into everything that he has for us and to release blessing upon the generations that will follow us. And just as the Holy Spirit is described in certain ways in the word of God, I want to go to a description that the Word of God gives us this time about ourselves. And we're going to see how water interacts with this expression of who we are and how this complements the descriptions of the Holy Spirit as water, as oil, as fire and as wind. And when Jesus first started his public ministry, he declared his identity by speaking from the book of Isaiah. So we're going to... Uh, Luke 4, 18 to 19, and the cross-reference for this, which we'll dive into as well, is also Isaiah chapter 61. So uh, when Jesus, sorry, Luke 4, 18 to 19, and also Isaiah 61, 1 through uh, 3, I think it is. So when Jesus first started his public ministry, he declared his identity and his mission by speaking from the book of Isaiah. And this is what he said. He was invited to speak in the synagogue and that was the uh, scripture reading for the day. So he got up in the presence of all these devout Jews and he read from the book of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then it goes on to say that he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What's he saying there? I am the Messiah. I am the person that Isaiah 61 is speaking of, and I have come to do these things. What we might miss if we don't look at the passage he quoted from, because he only read from those couple of verses from Isaiah, because that's the reading that he was given. What we might miss if we don't look at the passage he quoted from 
is that in quoting it, he was also speaking over our destiny as well as his. In that beautiful passage from Isaiah 61, it goes on to speak of the destiny of those saved by Jesus' ministry. That's you and I. This is about us, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And then he goes on to say, this is what those trees of righteousness who have been saved out of their disillusionment, out of their sin, out of their pain, out of their agony of the past, those who have known the oil of joy instead of mourning, those who have been healed, those who have been set free, those who have, been, those who have come into the destiny that God has for them, this is what they're going to do. They shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations and they shall repair the ruined cities the desolations of many generations. This is a profound call to the ecclesia of God. This is a profound call to those who Jesus bought with his blood that we should do these things, rebuild old ruins, raise up former desolations, repair ruined cities, and actually repair the desolations of many generations. How would you like to be responsible for breaking generational curses that have come down over entire cities? This is the sort of thing that is being spoken of in this scripture. If you are looking for God's mandate for your life, start here. Because it describes not just what Jesus has done for you, but what you are called to as a result of what he's done for you. It applies to every person here without exception. Oh, that's not for me. Oh, yes, it is. You are a tree of righteousness. Say this with me. I am a tree of righteousness. Whew. Sounds good. That sounds like a little bit of exchange of identity going on right there. When you were born again, the reason you are a tree of righteousness is you were born of a perfect, incorruptible seed. A tree can only reproduce after its own kind. Is that true? I'm not a biologist, but I know that much. You were born of a perfect, incorruptible seed. Your new nature is unequivocally righteous. You are, in fact, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So my question to you is, are you acting like it? <laughs> As that truth of your new identity grows from a seed to a seedling, to a sapling, to a young tree and begins to grow into maturity. Everybody say maturity. maturity. Grow up. Say, say it again, maturity. maturity. That word sounds good on your lips. Let me hear it one more time. Maturity. maturity. Someone's going to ask you, after, what did he talk about? Maturity. Who is that for? Me. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, why don't you, this is an old preacher's stunt, I know, but turn to your neighbour and say, this is so good for you today. Now, while you're saying that, don't stop there and just say to them, this is even better for me. <laughs> See, as that truth of your new identity grows from a seed to a seedling to a sapling to a young tree and begins to grow into what? Thank you. There's one person paying attention in the house this morning. Begins to grow into maturity. God has destined that we rebuild old ruins, raise up those things that were desolate, repair ruined cities and undo the desolations of many generations. Can I suggest to you that an immature tree is going to do none of that, but a mature tree is capable of doing all of it because the Word of God says that is so. That's quite a mandate and we don't do it without the Holy Spirit. So, 
He comes as water. He comes as oil. He comes as fire. He comes as wind. All so that we can attain the fullness of Christ in us so that we can walk out our identity in transforming entire cities and perhaps even nations. God is constantly, let me say this. We must become so that we can do. We must become so that we can do. And I love the way that God uses these analogies throughout the word, the tree of righteousness, the spirit, the Holy Spirit as oil, as water, as fire, as wind. I love the way he uses these analogies throughout the word so that we can gain insight and revelation into how and why he does things. Because it's easy for us to walk out of church and when we get home, look around and we can see there's a tree. We can feel the effects of the wind, especially yesterday afternoon when it started going on. We, we know what water does. We are familiar with these concepts, but God brings us into a revelation of what he wants to do in our spirit, man, so that we can walk them out. And God is constantly using everything that happens in our lives for his purpose. And in Romans 8, 28 to 29, this is probably the most overquoted scripture that we use on people who are in trouble. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Now, this is scriptural truth. It's not an opinion. It's not my opinion. It's just scriptural truth that somewhere in everything that we go through in our lives, God is using what we go through to do something. Because it goes on to say, and this is, this, this, is, this is what it goes on to say, for whom he foreknew, that's us, he knew you before he formed you in your mother's womb, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is the natural follow-on from verse 28. When I go through something difficult, I know that God is forging something in me. He's forming something in me. He's forging something in me. He wants to raise me up and build me and bring what to me? Maturity. Everybody say maturity. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. See, God's destiny for you is that you be exactly like Jesus, but with your own personality. He doesn't want a bunch of Jesus robots running around the place. He wants brothers and sisters to his firstborn son. And so all these things that we go through are to conform us to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So going back to this analogy of the tree of righteousness, given to us to describe our identity and the description of Holy Spirit as water. This is the one that we're going to focus on today, water, to describe God's process with us. We're going to go to another passage of scripture to see further what God wants us to see. Who's familiar with Psalm 1? <laughs> Psalm 1 is just such a beautiful promise over us. In Psalm 1, 1 to 3 in particular, it says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Blessed is that man. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. This is the tree of righteousness that Isaiah speaks of, that Jesus speaks of. So Psalm 1 takes us into a revelation of how a tree flourishes and grows. And the first thing to realize is that in verse 2, where he says his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night, I want you to see this as a covenant expression of the word of God. Do you understand that the Psalms were written under the old covenant? 
And what they had as the word of God was what they called the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So he's not saying here, I want you to meditate day and night on the Ten Commandments. What he's talking about here is the word of God. Does everybody understand that? Uh, So when the psalm mentions delighting in the law, it's in the context of the covenant under which the psalm is written and it represents the word of God. Delighting in and meditating on the word of God is how our roots go down, how we are planted and established and how we are rooted firmly in place and established. Because the psalmist says when our delight is in the word of God, we shall be like a tree planted. Amen? If you have the word of God in your heart in every situation, you are positioned to flourish because you know what God has to say about your situation. You are positioned to be fruitful while all around you is drought. The other night, Kerry had a picture of the roots of a tree going deep looking for water. And this is what kind of really prompted this message. The roots of a tree going deep looking for water. That water is the water of the Holy Spirit. And did you know that the olive tree, which I believe I'll cover fully in the second, in the second part of this series, that the olive tree has roots that are so powerful they can break through rock to reach good water and be nourished. That's why David said, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of the Lord. Because that tree has the capacity to go looking while everybody else gives up. That's how we need to be. So thirsty that we will not let anything stop us reaching that water. God is promising water. He is promising rain. We had an overflow of it this morning in our church building. In that same intercessory prayer meeting last Monday, I felt God take me to Zechariah 10.1. This is off the back of this revelation of roots going down looking for water that came through on Monday night. Zechariah 10.1 says this, Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain because the Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. This is the season of the latter rain. This is the season of the latter rain, and when we ask for it, we will receive it. That rain makes the river rise. Remember, we're talking about a tree planted by the rivers of water, right? That rain makes the river rise, and the ground becomes soaked, and the roots of the tree draw the water up into the trunk, out through the branches, and the tree explodes into growth. Without water, that can't happen. This water, representative of the Holy Spirit, is absolutely essential. Without it, the tree will dry up, it will shrivel up, it will die. And that is why being planted by the river of God's spirit is so vital so that when our roots go down looking for water, the tree will be nourished and grow. We have to have the presence of the Holy Spirit expressed as water in our lives. Where there is no water, there is little or no growth. This is why I'm so protective of what we have here of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the one thing that people come to our church comment on. It's the first thing that they mention. When we came into your church, we felt the presence of God like we have not felt it elsewhere. It is our mandate to steward that presence. And in fact, part of our calling is to be a crucible of the fire of the Holy Spirit, which is why we have an emphasis on fire. But I'll tell you what, what, that fire that comes has to be in balance with the other expressions of the Holy Spirit. Um, Our roots go down representing our commitment to the word of God. Does everybody understand that? We're a tree planted by the rivers of water and that we meditate in the Lord day and night, meditate meditate in the word of God day and night. That's what makes our roots go down. But those roots are going down for a reason. They want to meet with the presence of God expressed in his Holy Spirit as water. 
Our roots go down, representing our commitment to the Word of God, and the water comes up. The water is coming up. The water is rising because we're in the season of the latter rain, and the latter rain is coming down. The river is filling, and that, that water table up through which the water comes is gradually rising and rising and rising. And here's the thing. The Word of God and the Spirit of God work together so that we might reach what? Maturity. You guys are switched on this morning. Hallelujah. I'm not doing my usual thing like this. Two people awake in the church. I know you're all getting this. The Word of God and the Spirit of God work together to bring us to maturity. If your focus is purely on the Word of God and you neglect the Holy Spirit or worse still, grieve or quench Him, your maturity will be stunted. You will become dry legalistic and religious. Who wants that? Nobody. Equally, if all you focus on is the Holy Spirit and neglect the Word of God, you will be unstable in the way you live out your Christian walk. Not one amen. The reason we know this it's because the Holy Spirit never contradicts the Word of God. But if you don't know the Word, how will you know when you have drifted into error? Is that right? Our lives are to be lived out based on the truth of the Word of God, which is in perfect harmony with the Spirit of God. The two go together. And when you say, we're going to shut down the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're going to shut down prophecy, it's too hard to steward, it's too hard to correct, you are actually quenching the Spirit of the Lord. That's why no matter how many flaky things I hear that come through the prophetic occasionally, I'm determined not to quench the Spirit of the Lord because all that's demonstrating is that there's a gift there that needs to be matured. It's my job to help you mature. And one of the ways that we do that is to make sure that there is a balance between the Word and the Spirit. The Spirit of God personalizes our relationship with God. He's our comforter. He exhorts us. He challenges us. And the Spirit of the Lord gives us a prophetic edge to how we live. There's a scripture that says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But the very next verse says, But. Everyone say, But. <laughs> God reveals these things to us by his spirit. You're not, you're not meant to be walking out your life without having any idea of what comes next. Sometimes we feel like we're walking into a mystery, but we walk into the mystery knowing that we have a full assurance that God is there to bring us through to the other side. When Jesus took his disciples into the boat to, to go into a storm on the, gate of, uh, the, on the lake of Galilee and he could see the storm coming, they all knew there was a storm coming. He goes, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. You're not going to get halfway across and, blah, 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 and the boat goes down and you drown. You're going to sail through the storm and you're going to get there. And in some cases, as we study for those of you in our life groups, in some cases, God will actually translate you to the other side of your difficulty in an instant. Who here is, has, has experienced the instantaneous uh, miracle of God in their lives? We had one this morning. Does everybody know what a floater is, by the way? Does everybody know this is a medical condition? It's like this speck. There's, a, there's an imbalance in, in, in your part of your eye. I don't know which one, the iris, something like that. And what it does is it produces something that's like, uh, like a, a, I don't know how to describe it. It's like Kerry described it. It's like as if when you go like this, there's something there. No matter where you look, it's like a fragment that's floating on the surface of your eye, something like that. And doctors can't really cure it. Sometimes they can intervene with laser surgery, but it's not always, um, it doesn't always work. And a lot of people put up with them for the rest of their lives. Well, Kerry didn't have to put it up with it for longer than two weeks because God came without anybody laying a hand on her and spontaneously said, I'm dealing with that. God help us if we quench the Holy Spirit. <laughs> 
Because when we invite him to come and he comes, these are the things that he does. Because why? Because God is good. And even in the painful moments of our maturing, God is good. Even when the fire (laughs) is fierce, God is good. (laughs) So the Holy Spirit personalizes our relationship with God, gives us a prophetic edge to how we live because we're called to relationship, not just religious observance. Who came out of a background of religious observance to the exclusion of the power of the Holy Spirit? I see some hands going up. I recognize some denominations <laughs> that I'm not going to mention. I'm gonna, I see some movements represented here that I'm not going to mention. All I'm going to mention is the movement of the Holy Spirit because he's moving here. Hallelujah. God is raising up sons who walk in mature intimacy, who can be entrusted with the power and authority to disciple nations. He's not raising up churchgoers who show up occasionally out of religious obligation or observance with little or no commitment to the mandate we have been entrusted with. How we desperately need maturity in the ecclesia now. What do we need? Maturity. (laughs) We can't afford, I'm going to sound a bit like Anne Marie's, one of Anne Marie's preaching sessions here for a minute. We can't afford to be acting like children anymore. Not quite so vocal this time. God calls us to childlike faith, but never to childish attitude or behavior. Is that true? true? We can't even enter the kingdom without childlike faith, but that doesn't mean we have to carry on like spoiled brats. Oh, I'm just ducking the rocks now. <laughs> Whoa! Fiery data, get that shield up. <laughs> it takes childlike faith to enter the kingdom, but childish attitude and behavior keep us from living out the fullness of our calling in that kingdom. The Bible says, by their fruit you will know them, not by their gifts. Is that right? Let's dig into that a little bit. While the power of Christ is seen in the gifts, it is the fruit that shows the nature and character of Christ which every Christian is to evidence or show forth consistently. Otherwise, our witness is poor. And boy, do we need an ecclesia that demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit today. And when you dig further into the Word of God about this area of fruit and gifts you find that the gifts are actually the Holy Spirit's. They're not yours. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are the Holy Spirit's. They're not yours. The Bible says, for him to distribute as he pleases. How can I boast in a gift of miracles or prophecy or word of knowledge or healing or any of those gifts, if the gift is not mine, it's his. And he distributes them as he pleases. And when he distributes them, you've got to understand he doesn't distribute it to me. He distributes it through me because it's not about me. It's about the person that he's called me to minister to. So we're just vessels. That's why there's the emphasis on these vessels of gold and silver because gold and silver represent purity. And when we come up, when we allow the Holy Spirit to mature us by that balance of the Word and the Spirit, this is what happens. He empties out the gunk so he can actually look through that pure uh, yielded vessel and release that gift through us to the person who so needs it. Not about us. (laughs) Thank God. Thank God. So furthermore, let's just just keep going down this track. Furthermore, the gifts are without repentance. Once given, they are not taken back 
And once received, you can operate in them whether your lifestyle and character are as they should be or not. There are people, particularly in the last 20 years, I would say, in the worldwide ecclesia of God, who have operated in the gifts in great power and have brought disgrace to the name of Jesus because of their behaviour and their lack of character. I don't want to be another one of them. Do you? So let me be perfectly blunt here. I know that you appreciate that about me, otherwise you wouldn't keep coming back. Because <laughs> I, I have the anointing of bluntness. <laughs> but also have the anointing of the rapier. You know, <laughs> everyone know what a rapier is? You know, like a, yes. Okay. <laughs> Let me be perfectly blunt here. Your character is more important than your gifts, which actually aren't yours anyway. Your character demonstrates your maturity or your lack thereof. And God wants to bring us to maturity because it is mature Christians who produce fruit that lasts. Maturity produces fruit. The fruit you are now producing is an indication of your maturity. Immature Christians don't produce lasting fruit. This is not a matter of years or months in the Lord. Immature Christians do not recognize the authority they have been placed under. Does everybody understand that the ecclesia has a structure to it for a reason? Immature Christians flit from place to place. They don't receive correction. They are easily offended. They don't recognize the godly authority and covering placed over them. They don't honor those placed over them and they either won't serve or they will only serve where and when they think they deserve to serve. Should I duck now? Mature Christians, mature in the word and in the spirit, produce fruit that remains. Mature Christians recognize the godly authority that God has established over them, not to boss them around, but to correct, to edify, to build up and equip so that they can walk in fullness. My job is to bring you into the fullness that God has spoken over you. I have no desire to lord it over you. I'm not a person who likes conflict. But I can be blunt if I need to be. Mature Christians recognize that promotion comes from God as they serve. No man can rewrite your destiny. If necessary, God will move aside the person standing in your way who is trying to exercise ungodly authority over you so that you can come into the fullness of what God has for you. No man can stop it. This is why the church is currently dealing so uh, at such a fundamental level of principality and power with the spirit of Jezebel. Because Jezebel wants to come and control. Jezebel wants to come and manipulate. And control and manipulation take you out of the place of freedom that Jesus died and rose again for you to have. And he calls us to walk in freedom that is expressed in submission to godly authority because we are slaves of righteousness as well as trees of righteousness. And God has appointed godly leaders to bring you into maturity. Sometimes that's not very comfortable, but it's necessary. And I'm not preaching anything that I have not walked through myself. So when I gave you that description of immature Christians, I've done those things. 
You're not on your Pat Malone. And when I came out of those things, as far as I have come out of them, I can. it's like you get a little bit of discernment about how it's manifesting in those that you are raising up. Doesn't hurt that I've been around for 61 years and spent half of it in the worst degradation of sin that you could imagine because it's given me a desire for purity and it's given me a desire for that purity of the Holy Spirit to be expressed in your lives. And whatever I confront you about, God is either confronting me about or he has dealt with in me in the past. Don't confuse maturity. Everybody say maturity. Maturity. Don't confuse maturity with years. I've known Christians who are two two or three years old in the Lord who have more maturity than some who have been in church for years. Is that true? See, in John 15 verse 8, Jesus says that his Father is glorified This is what he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. The expression of a disciple is the fruit of their lives. Because a disciple, the Bible says, will be like their master, like their teacher. And in John 15, 16, just in case you you thought you were doing Jesus a favour by saying yes to him, the Bible tells us, You did not choose me. I chose you. (laughs) And I'm really glad because uh, if it was a meritocracy, I would have no merit on which to stand and say, come pick me. (laughs) You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Why? That you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. What? Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. This is starting to sound to me like God wants to entrust us with power and authority to raise up generations of desolation, rebuild ruined cities and bring transformation to nations. Is that what this sounds like to you? You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. If the fruit doesn't remain, it can't possibly reach the next generation. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is profound. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Mature Christians are entwined with the Father's heart in such a way that what they ask for from the Father is what the Father has already in his heart to give. Do you get that? It's not like you've got a shopping list of prayers and you say, well, God, you say whatever I say in your your name, you're going to give me. This is an expression of maturity as sons who understand they represent a kingdom and that the king wants to do certain things. And your heart is so attuned with his that you're asking him to do what is already on his heart to release. He's just waiting for us to partner with him. And mature Christians walk in submitted unity despite their diversity because they understand that where there is unity, God commands blessing. And I'm blessed to look around our church on any given Sunday and if I started getting people to stand up and raise uh, and, and name the countries that their heritage belongs to, we can see that this is a house of all nations. Amen. And yet somehow there, this, this, somehow there is a unity beyond our diversity. It's that unity that the Holy Spirit brings. And we need to grow into maturity so that that unity is properly expressed. That there are no fissures in the body that God has raised up here. 
that anything that is ungodly is completely dealt with, that when we see our brother falling into error, that we go to that brother and we, and we deal with the issues that need to be dealt with, that where we need to repent, we repent, where there needs to be godly sorrow that leads to repentance, we allow those emotions into our heart because God wants us to express the fullness of who Jesus is. Not just a part. He just does. He doesn't want just a church that comes together on Sunday morning, has a bunch of miracles occur, and we go home. The miracles are great. I would never never disparage them. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are wonderful. We are told to earnestly seek the gifts. We are told to earnestly desire that we might prophesy because it builds the church. We are to have all of those things. But we need to be rooted and grounded in the destiny that Jesus bought for us that we are trees of righteousness being brought to maturity and producing mature fruit that remains, that has an impact on the generations that follow us. You're all called to legacy. Your children and your children's children should experience the blessing of what you walk through in your relationship with God. The generations that follow you that are on the planet now should be able to look to you for an example about how to live as Jesus lived. So I got this far in my message. (laughs) and At this point, I realized there was no way I was going to cover any of the other aspects of those three things, oil, which we'll cover next time, next week, um, fire, we'll, we'll cover fire again, but with a different emphasis, and the wind of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going, okay, God, what am I going to do when I get to the end of this preaching and teaching about the water of the Holy Spirit? And so uh, last night um, I went to bed and I, I woke up in the middle of the night and as I was waking up, I saw myself giving an altar call based on this scripture. And uh, the scripture is one that I've already mentioned this morning. It, It emerged prophetically last Monday night. Zechariah 10 verse 1 says, Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. I got ready to start saying this and the water started bucketing down again. It says, The Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. And grass in the field for everyone just means that the dry places around you are about to become fruitful again. Can I get the worship team up, please? And so there's two aspects to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. As we respond to him this morning, it's going ha- to take some bravery and humility. Let's all stand. You know, it takes courage to acknowledge where you're at when sometimes you look around in church and everybody wants to give everybody else a good impression about where they're at. Amen. <laughs> we walk in with our church face on. How are you going, John? Oh, I'm good, thank you. And your smile is like a rictus. <laughs> you know, it's like kind of glued into place. But inside, you're all churned up and all the rest of it. But, you know, God gives me messages like these because in this moment, this moment of the altar call, God wants to meet you where you're at. So I have two altar calls to make this morning and we're going to deal with them individually. And the first one we're going to deal with congregationally. And so I want some body ministry. I want people gathering around people this morning. So I said it's going to take bravery and humility. If you have been in a dry place, if you know that you need the water of the Holy Spirit to come and help you grow into that maturity that is spoken over you, I just want, to wave, want you to wave your hand at me. Praise God. All right. So the rest of us are going to keep your hands raised nice and high. 
And those of us, the rest of us in, in the house, I want you to look around at these hands that are raised. I want you to start gathering around them. We're going to get the worship team launched into some worship. I'm going to pray for you, Andrew. Okay. Um, the worship team is going to launch into some worship. And God is going to come and He's going to fill your dry places. Because He sees your hunger. He sees your hunger. He sees your desperation for the things of the Lord. And God says He will answer you at your point of need. So, Lord, this says, ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. It's every, look, guys, this is not a spectator sport. If you are not, if you don't have your hand up, I want you to gather around those who have got their hands raised and pray for them. I don't want anybody not getting prayed for this morning. Come on, Luke. Come on, Zion. Can you come and pray for people, please? Okay, if you've got somebody around you praying for you, you can put your hand down. If you're still waiting for somebody to come and pray for you, keep your hand raised. Okay, everybody's got somewhere, somewhere around you. Okay, so I'm going to ask firstly, and for those of you on live stream, I know that I know that I know there are people responding on live stream right now. So I want you to know that as I pray this over our congregation, I am praying this over you and the Holy, you might be there all by yourself. But God is saying to you, you're not alone because you have Jesus in you. The Holy Spirit is upon you right now for what He's about to do. Lord, Zechariah 10, 1 says, Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. Lord, I believe this is the time of the latter rain. And so, Lord, I ask you for the rain of the Holy Spirit and that as that water goes into the river, as the river begins to rise, these dry roots that have been cracking through hard rock in people's lives to get to what you have promised, Lord, that water begins to rise to meet those roots. And now, Lord, there is a refreshing coming upon your children. Right now, as we come in childlike faith, receive, receive, receive that water of the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to open your heart and say yes to whatever God wants to do in this moment. Thank you, Lord, for your promise that you will make flashing clouds. You will make showers of rain. That, Lord, that you are producing fruitfulness in your children as they receive from you. Can we start? 